talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Lisa are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. Happy Thanksgiving to our friends in the U.S. Yeah. That reminds me, I think our leftovers are still in the fridge. Mom, here, Scott Thompson. All right. You know, uh, can we get the guy in the studio audience a lozenge or a mask, please? Because it is a COVID-19 global pandemic, even though we are in uh, week number 88 of it all. Uh, Good afternoon. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine on the board and uh, in the newsroom and uh, coming around the big round table as well. Very, very soon, about an hour and a half. Uh, Ted Michaels and Lisa Pileski. uh, I believe it was Ted that picked the song today. Yep. He says proudly. Yep. In case you didn't realize, Ted is the DJ of the newsroom. Yep. Uh, Lisa, did you know that? Lisa's not here. She, oh, she's not she's, here. She's running away, yeah. hiding. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> she's run out of the room screaming yeah. and yelling, yeah. saying, stop it. All right, so uh, explain the song to us, please. I just like the song, you know, that, as I've been. Tell everybody who it is. Uh, that's Michael Jackson, a little bit of help from uh, Justin Timberlake. But it's it's such a, you know. The, that is a deep classic there, uh, you know, bud. Like, I mean, that's deep in there, no? Wasn't that released? Well, yeah, it was released after he passed away, I believe. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. It's, Do you uh, not know that song? N- yeah. Kind of. Yeah, kind of, sort of. What am I, you know, what am I going to say here? I'm being, uh, you know, upstage from a guy that's retiring when it comes to music. I've never heard that. What do you mean, Scott? You've never heard that before. He's I, not playing Tony Bennett. He's only playing Michael Jackson here. <laughs> no, I. And Justin Timberlake. No, I just like the song. I just, you know, there. It has a very cool groove to it. Yep. And Will was saying that you were just like hovering around uh, the booth there, like uh, you I were was floating on cloud sing- nine. He was moonwalking. I was singing along, wow. you know. Telling moonwalking. You. See, once again, everybody tries to pigeonhole me as far as musical tastes and you know i mean i i i can go back as far back as 1937 circa 1937 and bunny berrigan for heaven's sakes however i won't <laughs> bunny berrigan bunny look berrigan. it up uh it's like is that the guy that played tiny tim no it was a different no, guy it's All much right. much better hey you know what it's sort of throwback thursday here and you we okay let's call it that because uh i've stumbled on some notes ted from the past including the show sheet from exactly one year ago today which you guys are going to find fascinating and i'm going to save this other thing for the round table uh hamilton santa claus this was a a a thompson time traveler uh back at uh this month 2009 i'm using old notes here ted like i'm using old scraps of show sheets to write on and it says hamilton santa claus parade this weekend who was the honorary parade uh marshal back in and i'm not going to tell you because you'll run in and google it but you're going to have to answer who uh who the who the honorary parade marshal was for the santa claus parade back in the 70s are you ready back in the 70s yeah what, what year i'm not telling you because oh, oh, they can I, run oh, in and I look see. at it oh so, so now he's just going to go one-sided i see so now so now what he's going to do is he's going to go and look in okay uh parade marshals <laughs> in the hamilton santa no. claus parade for the 1970s i don't have time there? i don't have all time. right good for you i'm glad to hear that so uh all part of yeah it's not really uh you know the the wheel of ted that's tomorrow but no. i thought this is along the same line so i'm going to qu- uh, quiz you come round table and hopefully we'll get some time in to talk about the issues of the day yes all right ted thanks so much all great right. song as 
always, we'll talk to you and the rest of the crew, Lisa and Will and such, around the big round table coming up uh, after the 4.30 news. All right. Yeah, lots of stuff going on here. Like, seriously. And I was watching, Will and I talked about this a while ago. Uh, I was watching Jimmy Kimmel, uh, I don't know, must have been six, eight months ago. Maybe a year. I don't know. Everything's a blur, right? And they were doing This Week in COVID History. And I thought, well, this is pretty funny. What a great bit. I'm going to steal this and use it on the radio. And then I started, because I have all the notes here, all the notes, all the research is here. I bored you with the story 25,000 The archives. The archives. So basically, I had old show sheets in the filing cabinet, useless. I'm pulling them back out, using the backs of them for scrap paper. On the other side are old shows. I digress. So I started doing, so I start, we started thinking, well, let's do, uh, Will and I said, well, let's do this, you know, this day in COVID history a year ago. And what happened was the U.S. had vaccines way before us. Remember, they had vaccines like six months before us. So you're looking back at theirs, and it's kind of funny because they're in a better place. Whereas when we were starting to do it, it was pretty depressing. Because it was like, we, we don't have vaccines yet. So how can we really, oh, yeah. Like, it was already bad enough. We couldn't even get worse. But just for, just for fun, I don't know why I did this, because it's Throwback Thursday. I, I, I moved the big pile, the stack of paper in my hand, uh, or to the left of my hand, uh, at my desk here, which is equally as cluttered. And I have the show sheet for... Now, I couldn't find today's, but here's yesterday's, because I, I don't know, I must have them out of order. Uh, and so this was Tuesday, November 24th, last year. So this is exactly what we were talking about last year, uh, what I've written down in hand. Um, handwriting. The Prime Minister has said we do not pro- uh, produce vaccines for COVID-19. We do not pr- produce vaccines in Canada anymore. Uh, he said, we will get the vaccine after countries of origin. In other words, after everybody else uh, who makes it gets their countries covered. I remember and it like it was yesterday. It, <laughs> a year ago. Oh, I get it. And the U.S. Uh, was the first. They were they were the first to do it and like were, were taking off after. Uh, and, and obviously didn't keep driving at home, and that's why they are where they are. But uh, also in those notes, Donald Trump concedes... And more on defunding of the police. Those were the big issues that were happening uh, a year ago, uh, this day in COVID history. Uh, and again, uh, because we are where we are and, you know, vaccines, the vaccine rate is just through the roof and will continue to be so, you know, once we get the five to 11 year olds all shot up. And, um, and, and so, wow, we have made great progress uh, over the last year. And oh, let me tell you this, sorry, 1,000 new cases uh 497 in peel 120 uh for 497 in toronto 175 in peel 64 in hamilton uh sorry 64 in halton 55 in hamilton uh 118 in york so over a thousand uh new cases in ontario on this day a year ago and today we're sitting at uh, not much to brag about 748 but the difference is we're vaccinated now and the icus and the hospital capacity is not overflowing which is uh great news all right uh we'll tell you what's coming up on the show a little later on when we have time to do all of that uh thanks for indulging on the throwback thursday also going to take this into the round table and see if we can double quiz ted here we've certainly uh seen and heard of lots of programs uh governments uh, of all different levels uh, over the course of this global pandemic trying to get us through all of this uh and obviously as we're coming towards the end here's hoping uh with more and more people becoming vaccinated slowly things uh, uh, returning to what 
whatever the new normal is. Uh, obviously, people are talking, well, some people are talking about we should be cutting back on this, readjusting it, retargeting it, re, re, uh, refocusing it. Others are saying, uh, just keep it all going. Uh, you know, so it, it, depending on what side of the political spectrum you are on, uh, your decision on this. That being said, uh, Bill C2 has been announced, which, uh, would help with extending some of these programs and deliver targeted support to businesses and workers, uh, still facing pandemic related cha- uh, challenges. To talk more about this, Ian Lee with us, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Yes. So obviously there's lots of opinions on the aid. Obviously there's many people that needed it and such over the course of this pandemic. Others are saying, all right, that's enough. It's gone on long enough. Uh, At what point, how do you balance and has the government done this? Is this a good program as far as getting us through this stage of the global pandemic? Um. Well, it's a very broad brush. I mean, there's bits and pieces in there. I mean, if we're talking the aid to business, that's separate from aid to individuals. So, um, but let me step back because you said people on the political spectrum depend on their answer. I'm from the evidence-based uh, political spectrum. I, I use real data from an organization called Stats Canada, which has a mandate from Parliament and gets over half a billion dollars a year to collect data. So that's why I use Stats Canada. And I also used the budget data from none other than Christia Freeland, who tabled the budget in April. Um, all the jobs that were lost from the pandemic have been recovered. That's not an opinion. It's not a theory. It's not a hypothesis. This is hard StatsCan data. So that does not mean, therefore, I'm jumping to the conclusion saying, cut everybody off. We have had a program of income support that goes back literally 90 years, which has been unbelievably supported by Canadians, like 80-90% of public opinion polls. It's called the Unemployment Insurance System. And the Christy Freeland and the government, I'm not trying to blame her, but the government just seems to have an aversion to taking all the remaining income support programs and rolling them into and under the roof, if I can call it that, of the Unemployment Insurance Program, where we have thousands and thousands of very highly skilled and trained public servants who have been running that program for as long as it's been in existence. And by the way, it was first tabled in Parliament in 1935. And then it got struck down by the Supreme Court, so it got retabled and then ultimately passed, I believe it was 1945. So this is not an opinion. It's been around for a long time, and it's worked incredibly well. So I would argue that uh, given that the, and the economy is growing at 6% a year, way more than it was before the pandemic. So I would argue, Scott, the pandemic from an economic point of view, is over. The stats are very clear on that. So people can say, you you don't understand, you're just in the ivory tower, don't you get it? There's massive deprivation out there. So I look at the savings. I've never in my lifetime uh, have seen the savings rate so high. We have almost a third of a trillion dollars, unprecedented, unheard of, in the banks, in our country, today as I speak. Some people say, don't you understand? That's just the rich people that have all that money. That's what I was about to say. Broke down the data and showed that the savings rate has gone up higher in the bottom two quintiles, the bottom 40% of the population, than in the upper income uh, quintiles. That is not to say that there's nobody suffering. I'm not denying that. I'm saying it calls for an uber-targeted response under the unemployment insurance umbrella or framework or system. 
and and I think it's still they're rolling out too much. And you can say, well, so what? What what do you carry in? Well, I, it's all connected, Scott. Very quickly, and then I'll stop. It's I strongly believe that the inflation. I don't agree with Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. Trudeau did not cause the inflation. It was the pandemic response, shutting down the economy, blowing up the supply chains, creating the interruptions and the shortages. Okay, but what we're doing is we're, and this is where I disagree with Christy Freeland last night. She says, look, it's inflations around the world, nothing to do with us. Well, if that's true, you could test that theory by looking at the inflation rates in major countries and say they must be all identical, right? Because they're all facing the same international circumstances. Yeah. And that's simply not true. Argentina right now is running at 50% inflation. So individual policies in individual countries contribute. I didn't say they cause it. They contribute. And I'm arguing that by continuing to pump in very large amounts to companies that should not be supported and to people that were, were, we should be targeting the support more, one of the unintended consequences, no, it was not intentional, but one of the unintended consequences is that it's, it's exacerbating the inflation rates, which is affecting everybody not just the people who are suffering from the pandemic. So this is not a free lunch argument, as some people say. Look, we got lots of money. What's wrong with throwing out the money? It causes unintended consequences. It's pushing up the inflation rate, and that in turn is going to cause our governor of our Bank of Canada to raise interest rates sooner rather than later, because he said so himself in his uh, report and in his press conference. It was interesting. Uh, I was talking to uh, Ipsos the other day, and they released a, a poll that said four out of five, almost four out of five Canadians, number one issue, number one concern was inflation. Yeah. And I, I said to him, I remember back during the, the election campaign, nobody was interested in this. And he said they did a poll the day of the election, and inflation was the num- was at number yeah. five. Climate change was at number one. Now uh, it's reversed, and uh, uh, sorry. Um, inflation is now the number one concern. Yeah. How yeah. can that have changed in such a short period of time? It's not as if we weren't set, uh, weren't told that this was coming. Uh, because it was uh, inflation was sneaking up on us, and it's very insidious. You know, it doesn't sort of go from you know a very modest, reasonable one and a half or two percent, and then you know you wake up the next morning and it's like at five or ten. It doesn't go like that. It goes up, you know, it's that famous metaphor of putting the frog in the uh, water at the room temperature, and then you gradually increase the temperature and you boil the frog, and it doesn't even know it's getting killed. I mean, it's analogous to that. Pardon the sort of kind of Mm. blunt metaphor. But my point is, it snuck up on us. We were, of course, talking about a whole bunch of other things. And then... I think what happened was we were going, all of us, to the supermarkets day by day, week by week, and month by month, and then we were seeing surprises way beyond 4% increase. I mean, we were seeing double-digit increases in meat, and we're seeing double-digit increases in in gas and so forth. And so it suddenly, it, it all came together and, and hit us all at once, and now that is the issue. And very quickly, Scott, I lived through the 70s, not as a child, I was a mortgage manager, in the 70s, in Ottawa, in the Bank of Montreal. And I saw the rate that the inflation went from 4, went up to 5, then to 6, then to 8, then to 10, then to 12, kept going up, and everybody kept saying, don't worry, it's under control, it's under control. And it finally peaked out at 14%, and the central bank drove the interest rate to 20. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen this time. What I am suggesting is, is that rates will go up as surely as it snows in my city in January, Rates, interest rates will be going up if inflation remains elevated in the four or five range. 
four or five percent range. And so for those who say, hey, don't worry about it, just keep on pushing that money out the door, billions more, we're a big, rich country, what's the problem? Well, if you think that inflation's okay and you think higher interest rates are okay, then keep supporting that point of view. Ian Lee with his associate professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. As always, Ian, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks. Going to bring in Alan Cross, host of the ongoing History of New Music. Always great to have Alan on. we got a whole pile of stuff we're going to try to get through uh, in a very short period of time. Alan, as always, thanks so much for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, doing okay. All right, let's talk about uh, the Beatles' uh, Get Back. Uh, this is Peter Jackson's documentary uh, that's now streaming. We we heard a lot about this. It took a while to come out. What are your thoughts? Give me your, your critique on this uh, special. Well, I saw a 100-minute media preview uh, on Tuesday night, and it focused only on a certain portion of uh, the eight-hour documentary that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. And I got to tell you, as a Beatles fan, I thought I knew everything about the group. Uh, not no, there's there's always more to discover about the Beatles. The documentary is done by Peter Jackson, the guy most famous for doing all the Lord of the Rings movies. And a couple of years back, he did a movie where he restored a World War One film footage and brought it up to 21st century standards, which was really amazing. He's done the same thing with a documentary that was released as a movie called Let It Be back in 1970, and it was shot by a guy named Michael Lindsay Hawk. Uh, what he has done with that 16-millimeter film is, mm. is nothing short of a miracle because the, the video quality, I mean, it's, it's, it's 4K HD awesome. Mm. And uh, you, you really appreciate how young the Beatles were when they were making this record. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have long been told that things were really, really ugly when the Beatles were recording this record. That has been part yeah. of Beatles lore you know, for more than 50 years. Uh, this uh, documentary seems to belie that because they all seem to be having a lot of fun. Uh, they're, they're laughing, they're joking, they're, they're, they're messing around with each other. It all seems pretty cool, although Ringo isn't talking too much throughout the film. And at the beginning, George seems a little quiet, but by the end, he's... He's fine. Um, so, so this may rewrite Beatles history in a certain way simply because everything that we've been told about the relationship between the members in 1969 may not exactly be true. You know, that's exactly what my next point was, Alan, was that everybody always thought by this time of the career, it was just like, get it done. And, and everybody was fighting and screaming and there the Yoko and all that sort of stuff. And as you pointed out, it, it appears quite the opposite, which makes you think that, you know, if somebody would have maybe interjected, kind of played the counselor, kind of got through the miscommunication and, and just the bizarreness that became the Beatles towards the end, that perhaps they could have got through this. Yeah, and maybe it wasn't as bizarre as what we were talking, what we what we've been told. Now, yeah. the thing to think about with the Beatles is that they were basically an entity from 1962 through to early 1970, and during that time, they released some of the most iconic music of all time. They were doing two albums a year. They were doing several singles on top of that per year. They had released a bunch of movies. There were TV specials, all kinds of stuff. And I, I think by the time we get to 1970, they're all pretty tired, pretty burned out, and pretty tired of each other because they'd grown as, as people. Remember, they all started as teenagers. And by the time we get around to 1970, they're still in their late 20s. 
and they have uh, a lot more growing to do and a lot more things they want to accomplish as individuals. So I'm not terribly surprised that they, they broke up. Maybe if there had been a, a, a conciliary or, or, or some, a counselor to, to work with the personalities, they might have lasted another you know, one or two years. But I think the Beatles were, were meant to be uh, this, this seven, eight-year band. All right, let's talk about Massey Hall reopening tonight with a Gordon Lightfoot run. Uh, obviously, he was the one that finished it off, uh, historically known for his runs at Massey Hall every year and such. Talk about this hall and what it has now become. Okay, so I had a tour on Tuesday night just nice. before they, well, they were still bolting the numbers on all the seats on mm. Tuesday night when I was there. and They had vacuum cleaners and rug shampooers and everything trying to get the place uh, together for, for tonight. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was there last night. Oh, God. <laughs> no, it was Wednesday night I was there. And um, it is, it's, 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 it's spectacular. Uh, Massey Hall opened in 1894. Hart Massey gave it as a gift to the City of Toronto for music and other events. Uh, and over the years, it has been a very faithful uh, you know, music venue for, for not only Toronto, but for, for Canada. But uh, by the time we get to the 21st century, it's, it's really in need of some serious, serious upgrades. Mm. So uh, they closed it down July 1st, 19, uh, 2020, or 2018, and plowed $184,000,000 into the place. Um, new ceiling, new seats, new loading dock, new bars, new washrooms, new back-of-house uh, facilities, new hallways. Uh, it, it's it's really it has been restored to its its glory, complete with um, the stained glass windows that have been covered up since the 1920s. And this is only the start. There is a second venue called Level Four that's going to open probably in uh, February. This is going to be in one of the towers that have gone up behind the original Massey Hall. That'll uh, be good for a, uh, everything from a dance club to another concert venue. And then there's level six and level seven, also in that South Tower, where we have um, uh, artist facilities and rehearsal rooms, and then a state-of-the-art recording studio in level seven that will allow live performances to be recorded from any place in the complex. Hmm. It's called the Allied Music Center as a whole, and uh, it's, it's stunning. It really is stunning. Massey Hall ready for yet another generation uh, tonight with Gordon Lightfoot and continuing a run there for three days. Alan Cross with us, host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Alan, it's always uh, a blast to have you on telling the stories. Uh, Hope you're doing well and have yourself a great weekend. Thank you very much. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Some changes uh, in the Canadian military. When you think about it, not really changes, but uh, uh, the person who was uh, initially, uh, I guess, Art McDonald is supposed to take over uh, as the highest member of the ranking military, uh, I think within weeks of being uh, weeks of being uh, appointed, uh, then had to step down amidst uh, allegations of sexual misconduct. And now his replacement, uh, General Wayne Eyre, has been officially appointed uh, appointed as Canada's next Chief of, De- uh, of uh, the Defence Staff. And Defence Minister Anita Anand, new Defence Minister Anita Anand, confirmed the decision during a news conference today, more than nine months after Eyre took over, uh, on an acting basis from Admiral Ard McDonald, who stepped down in February due to a sexual misconduct investigation. Here's what the defenseman 
Minister had to say. Today, I would like to offer my sincere congratulations to General Wayne Eyre on his nomination as the Chief of Defence Staff. General Eyre and I will continue to work hard in reforming the culture of the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, obviously, uh, the Defence Minister Anita Anand was asked, what about Art McDonald, uh, who stepped down initially due to these uh, sexual misconduct allegations? Apparently, he then, uh, I guess there wasn't enough information. We'll get more on this with Christian Leprec coming up in a, in a few minutes. But uh, not enough to convict him from the uh, military police standpoint. He said then he had been exonerated, in, in which uh, the Canadian Armed Forces said, no, 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 that's not the case. We just didn't have have enough evidence so uh what happens to uh the former uh the former chief of defense mcdonald after now general wayne Eyre has been officially appointed this is an appointment an at pleasure appointment that the prime minister uh, makes and i am very much looking forward to working with the appointment that the prime minister has made being general wayne Eyre, and that's all i have to say thank you all right, and that's uh, there you have it, uh, Anita Anand, who, Defense Minister, who also said earlier on in the week uh, that there is an, officially, uh, an official apology coming uh, to survivors and victims of, of sexual misconduct. We're going to talk about all of that coming up in just a little bit with Christian Leprac, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada. Obviously, this has been something that's been on the, under the micros- uh, microscope for quite a while, uh, but nothing seemed to be done. And the last Defense Minister, uh, despite these mounting allegations, uh, really didn't seem to do anything. So an interesting discussion coming up with Christian Leprec on all of this. To talk more about all of this and how we move forward, let's bring in Christian Leprec. And, of course, we've talked to him many, many times before. Uh, Christian is a professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute. Christian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Scott, good afternoon. Always a pleasure. I'm well indeed. Uh- Let's talk about the latest, and then we'll get to the apology uh, coming up. Uh, first of all, give us a little bit of a backstory here, because wasn't the chief of defense, or wasn't, sorry, Art McDonald installed to replace uh, someone who had had those accusations prior, and then within a, a short period of time found himself in uh, the same situation? Decode all of this. What has happened here? Yeah, so the chief of the defense staff is a position that serves as what's known at at pleasure. So at the pleasure of the crown, the crown being um, in modern day Canada represented by uh, the prime minister and cabinet. And so it is really the prerogative of the prime minister who serves in many of the senior positions across government. Uh, There are certain amounts of risk pay that individuals receive as a result of taking those jobs, precisely because they know the government can dismiss you and the government does not need a reason to dismiss you. You can simply um, Mm -hmm. uh, lose the trust uh, of the government and so be replaced. And so uh, this is part of the reason why um, Admiral McDonald, I think, did not launch a legal challenge because there wasn't really much for him to challenge here when the government did not reinstate him uh, after being cleared uh, and no charges being laid. And I think the government has now, uh, in effect, uh, rather than uh, retiring Admiral uh, McDonald uh, publicly it, by effectively appointing uh, the acting chief of defense staff as the permanent chief of the defense staff, uh, sent a signal that Admiral McDonald um, has effectively retired uh, as far as the government is concerned. 
And we've talked about this uh, in the past with other individuals, and as you said, this is a position that's honorary from the Prime Minister, so once they decide it's time for you to go, that's it. You do not have really any legal recourse or any right to be reinstated, no matter what the outcome of any investigation is. Is that accurate? Yeah, and I think that's what makes the senior position, Chief of Defence Staff, different from other positions, such as that uh, of Major General Danny Fortin, who, of course, is uh, fighting in court uh, to have uh, to be reinstated. Uh, so there are certain, as I say, risks that people are aware of when they take these senior jobs, and those are risks that they ultimately have uh, to live with. Um, those include the reputational risks involved uh, when ultimately you agree to lead such a large organization. This is why some people take a pass on these very senior positions precisely Mm. because they either don't want to live with the risk or because they know what's going on internally um, and that ultimately they have to wear it. But this is also an important part of these types of positions that ultimately uh, you might have to fall on the sword uh, for the king. That is to say that if you're the senior leader in the organization and something goes wrong in the organization, even if you weren't directly responsible for it, you might ultimately have to make a decision for the better of the organization and step down as a Results. So I think we can see here that the government is clearly trying to turn over a new leaf that it wants somebody who, uh, as far as we know, has a clean record, that is to say, General Wayne Eyre. Um, and I think the government has been very pleased with uh, both the internal leadership that General Eyre has provided and the public communication on many difficult files, of course, not just on the uh, institutional culture and professional misconduct file, but if we think of the vaccine rollout, um, if we think currently of uh, uh, the domestic operations um, as as it pertains to British Columbia and perhaps also the East Coast, uh, and of course, as it pertains to international operations, uh, possibly now surging our capacities in Ukraine. Uh, I think there's um, General Inair has been communicating deftly, has been leading deftly, and has been allocating his resources uh, in accordance with the government's uh, interests. What can Air bring to this position the others could not? Why should it be different? Why will it be different this time, do you think? You know, this is the absolute key question to ask, because, of course, this is the show that we go through with the RCMP every time. Right. So Mm. um, there's allegations that come up and governments are displeased with the way things are going. So they find themselves a new commissioner um, and sort of on the assumption that the new commissioner is going to fix everything. And I think what makes it different here is an acknowledgement by General Ayer himself that uh, the organization is in over its head and that there are many aspects here, especially of the issues related to institutional uh, culture and professional conduct, but also other elements that the military and the institution in and of itself cannot fix. So I think there is a recognition of the limits uh, of what the organization can do and the role of the leader in these challenging circumstances and the acknowledgement that rather than trying to protect the Canadian Armed Forces somehow from civilian interference, that this is a time when we need a senior uniformed leader who is prepared to work with the senior civilian, let's say the deputy minister and the minister collectively for the betterment of the organization, because each of them holds a key piece to the puzzle that they bring, if you want, to the situation here to move the organization forward collectively. And I think that's what General Air has demonstrated in uh, over the last nine months or so. So moving forward, an apology coming that was promised two years ago to the survivors and victims of the military sexual misconduct in some form. Uh, The minister said it's coming shortly. Why the delay? How significant will this be? So I think the delay is partially related to the Canadian Armed Forces trying to get a handle on uh, how extensive the nature of the problem is 
and um, trying to also understand what exactly went wrong. Because of course, in some ways you might argue you want to wait with an apology until you understand not just that the organization institution failed people, but how it failed people. I think if it's a genuine apology, there needs to be a genuine plan and a genuine recognition that we understand what went wrong and we have a plan to fix it. And I think part of the um, astonishment for Canadians here will be that uh, I suspect that the numbers may be not just in the thousands, but in the tens of thousands, mm. um, because there's been a process whereby people who believe that they have been wronged in the organization have been able to come forward, have been able to seek redress. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that process closes tomorrow. And of course, it's very timely that we have this conversation because, of course, November 25th is the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against women. And so this is very apt for you and I uh, to be talking about the need, the challenges that we face, that women on the planet face, one in three women on the planet reports uh, having some sort of abuse in their lifetime. Um, and this is an opportunity, not just for the organization to move forward, but as I always keep emphasizing, this is the largest single employer in the country. It needs to set the gold standard when it comes to employment, institutional culture and professional conduct for all organizations in Canada to follow. Christian Leprac, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada, Queen's University, and a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Christian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Have a great afternoon. Hamilton Today, I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine is on the board. Lisa Pileski and Ted Michaels have made their way from the newsroom around the big round table uh, to discuss the issues of the day. Ted, Lisa, and Will, good to have you here. Hope you're all doing well today. Well, you know, it's Thursday, one day before, uh, you know, Friday. So, yeah, everything is good. I mean, you know, every time I talk to you and ask you how you're doing, you always quote a day of the week. Well, you know, I you know try to be, you know. He's I, helping people know what day yes. it is. It's, it's <laughs> doing a public service. People's it's hard you know, these because, days. Because how many people say, geez, I don't even know what day it is. I can help with that. <laughs> Not a word of a lie. I had Alan Cross on just a few minutes ago talking about Massey Hall and the opening tonight with Gordon Lightfoot. And he said, I was there on Tuesday. He goes, no, wait a minute. It was last night. I was there last night. See? Looking at the hall again, one day bleeds into the other. Welcome yep. to the global pandemic. All right, kids, let's uh, go here. A poll question of the day. This is a very tough issue. Uh, I'll let whoever wants to weigh in, weigh in on this. Do you support the removal of city homeless uh, encampments? By the way, we have Councillor Jason Farr coming up in the 5 o'clock hour uh, to talk about this uh, direct issue. Uh, but obviously, we've had a fire in one of the camps uh, just very recently, and we all know the issue around this. It's not the first time this has come about lisa do you want to start you want to weigh in on this should the uh, do you support the removal of the uh, city's homeless encampments what, what should we do here well i definitely think that removing them and moving people around is not a solution because it, once you move people from one park they're just going to go to another park because quite honestly the issue is it's a bigger one and we've been talking about it i mean the the, the fact that we don't have enough shelter space we don't have enough adequate shelter space that can serve people with specific needs you know people who have pets or things like that we need more actual housing instead of just kind of shuffling people around to uh, like a shelter that they're going to be out on the street again in uh, like five days or so I mean this is not a sustainable solution I agree that the safety issue of encampments is definitely a concern but we should be concerned about the people living in them not just the people who are living around them who are lucky enough to have housing we should be concerned about all of our residents I think 
you bring up a very valid point. You said uh, shelter space versus adequate shelter space. Uh, you know, many have said, well, there's shelters, get in there. But what is the situation within the shelter in the sense that, you know, living in an encampment is a better scenario? So, again, as you said, what are the options there for them? I don't think anybody wants to see anybody living in a park. But, again, there has to be viable options. Will, do you want to weigh in here? Uh, I'm basically just uh, tagging on to what Lisa said because I, I agree. You can't really remove them it's not removal it's just shifting around it's a symptom of an overall issue the shelter system itself needs uh an an overhaul because it's viable shelter space and it's also the ability to accommodate uh all sorts of of people who are living their own lives and have their own situations that have led to them being where they are right now and why they are in an encampment so it is not an easy issue and on paper you can break it down as an equation of well we need to move this out of here but as soon as you start thinking in terms of these are human lives we are part of a messy interconnected system of human interaction you can't just clean something up you can't sweep people under the rug so no it's not as simple as removing it and it it needs a lot of hard work put into it uh, Councillor Jason Farr is going to join us on this issue coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. All right, uh, federal politicians heading back into the House. Uh, there's lots of debates about whether it should be in, pers- uh, in person or virtually at home. Your thoughts, should we have our federal politicians back in the House? It's what they signed up for. Ted, we'll start with you. It's not the same watching them virtually. It's not. You, they have to be in Parliament, in in the, you know, uh, on Parliament Hill, in the House of Commons, debating the issues, because I... As opposed to having staff feeding you stuff from the other side of your Zoom camera? Well, uh, well, there's that. There's people not hitting the mic in time or, you know, muting themselves or what have you. It's it, it just not the same. And, uh, and I would su- suggest if everybody is vaccinated, then what's the issue? You know, Lisa. Yeah, I was I, I kind of am along the same lines. I mean, if people are vaccinated now, I do understand there's definitely a convenience issue. I mean, people can weigh in from, say, if they're if they're back home and they're in their constituency and they they maybe not be in Ottawa. That's definitely helpful. But, you know, I, I think at this point, a lot of Canadians are going back to work and um, we are vaccinated. There there will be a point when we do have to kind of return to uh, a, a I don't want to say normal, but like we're going to have to return to doing more in-person things. So uh, and, and, maybe this you is know, time. As we're going into stadiums and restaurants and such, uh, and as you said, the vaccine rates through the roof. So uh, at what time do we you know, give it all up? All right. Uh, Ma- uh, Margaret Atwood, we all know her celebrated Canadian author, gets a stamp. She was quite funny in her news conference saying that, you know, uh, she hopes some kid looks down and finds her head in a wastebasket and pull, you know, rips it off the, the envelope and puts it in a stamp book. Do they even do that anymore, she said. So does this mean what it used to mean, Ted? Probably not. And that's a good point. How many people actually mail things these days? Yeah. Really? Like, the odd time I'll have to go and, you know, get a stamp or something. I have no idea what a stamp costs now. You know, I know I it used to buck. be like, like I don't know, 35 cents or whatever. So, um, I don't know. It, it's, you know, putting putting people on stamps, is, as, as she say, I would suspect a lot of people, younger people, won't, don't even know who Margaret Atwood is. If they're Please. using stamps, you know, so it was an education process as well. 
Lisa? Uh, I mean, it's it's. I was thinking, like, I, when was the last time I used a stamp? I all the mail that I get is in like a Amazon package or something yeah, like really. that. Like, there's no stamps on it. So, I mean, if, is she happy about the honor? Then you know, if it makes her feel happy, that's great. But I mean, I I feel like these kinds of honors are losing their meaning for sure. I I don't think anyone is really that excited. Well, is this. Is the stamp what it used to be? Now that we don't lick it anymore, it just sticks there. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, I don't think it is what it used to be. I think uh, physical mail. I know I mailed more letters. I had to go find out the price of a stamp over the over the pandemic. I certainly was not licking the them. I think there's there's a small amount, maybe an uptick of of uh, extremely nerdy people who are excited about stamps right. and mailing. But uh, no, for the most part, mm, I don't think it means the same thing as it used to. All right, the Team Canada hockey jersey for Beijing. It's not a Maple Leaf, some say. Some say it is a London Maple or something, whatever. Good, bad, the ugly. Team Canada hockey jersey for Beijing. Ted, your thoughts? I like the white one. I I like that it stands out. What about the leaf itself? The leaf. People got to stop. Like, you know... It's like, Ted said it. You know, well, no, really. Stop. Stop, everyone. Stop. What does it look like to you? <laughs> I mean, come on. I like the white jersey. The dark one, not so much. You know, who cares? You know, Lisa. I, I just had to look it up because I actually hadn't seen it yet. It's fine. It's, you know, it's different. I don't think there's... Are people actually getting angry about this? Why are people just determined to get angry? Do it, <laughs> I think people do it all the time. Every uh. time every time the New Jersey comes out, some love it, some hate it. I don't know. It's the way it is. I don't think people have loved it since the Root era, where ever, Roots era where everybody jumped on board. But, Will, what are your thoughts, quick? Uh, I think the uniforms, my first impression is they kind of look like Power Rangers outfits. Uh, that's what the logo <laughs> looks like to me. Appealing which, to the millennial crowd. Yeah, I mean, heck, that's good for an athlete. But, Scott, what do you think the leaf looks like? I think it looks like a cannabis leaf. Uh, If you drew a stem on on the bottom, I think it'd be a cannabis leaf. And there's London maple. London maple? Is that the first thing you're thinking about? I don't know. Uh, That's my thought. All right. Thank you all. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. (laughs) Good afternoon. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board, giving us all a nice tan with the lights today. Uh, straight out. I think these are the old lights from Iver Wynn. Are they not? Uh, once they, you know, Tim Horton, they got the new ones there. But these are the old Iver Wynn lights. I'm not old, allowed to say. Old school all the way. Like I, I'm sure, like the you're, you're, the lights at your home are, are are browning right now because of the energy being sucked to light up uh, the studio here. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at nine hundred chml dot com. Phone lines always open nine zero five six four five three two two one star nine nine hundred on your cell. Ted Michaels picked the top hour song today. And it's a Michael Jackson song. It was re- uh, released posthumously. And the version we heard is also got a mix with Justin Timberlake on it. Yep. And this was released five years after his death. That's what I thought. Yep. There Still, you go. Great song. I, great song. How I do you think. know that? How do you know that? How do I know what? Do you remember like listening to that on the radio and hearing it? Because it doesn't really stand out to me. Uh, once again, I have a broad knowledge of things. You know, I'm a sponge. He's the I DJ. Soak, He's I the... soak everything up. I'm like a sponge. You know. He's the DJ of the newsroom. I okay. have so much. You know. I. You know. I have all the stuff I'm trying to share with people before I leave. 
All right. And by the way, Ted, uh, retiring, semi-retiring, uh, coming up December 15th. Yes. And uh, tomorrow we will spin the wheel of Ted one more time, uh, letting him pick the songs from the era of Ted. We'll leave it at that. All right. So uh, I'm still doing this uh, crap from home. And because I don't have a supply cabinet like you guys have at the radio station, I, you know, I'm scrounging pens, paper, whatever. And I went down in a filing cabinet, and I've told the story a bazillion times, and I pull out old show sheets, which are off the copy your machine at work but the, the backside's blank so i've been using those as scrap paper for the last 88 89 weeks or yeah, whatever right so every day i get to pull something out and it's got something weird on the back right now i have a show sheet from thursday november 12 2009 wow okay so exactly so this was uh i used to do a feature called the thompson time traveler Yep. Or, or, maybe, or maybe this was Hammerhead Trivia. I think this was Hammerhead Trivia. So uh, I'm going to read you the question, and I'll see if you can get it. All right? So uh, this was November 12, 2009. Hamilton's, so, the, you know, the information's incorrect here. Hamilton's Santa Claus Parade goes this weekend, Saturday, starting at 2 p.m., runs along Main Street, King, and Bay Streets. Who was the honorary marshal of the parade back in 1974? Was it A? Dave Thomas and Promo the Robot from Rocket Ship 7? Was it B, Bruno Gerussi from the Beachcombers? Was it C, Herb Thompson, the Friendly Giant? Or was it D, Tim Horton? Uh, I, I know the answer to this because back in the 70s and before that, the Santa Claus Parade was held on Hamilton Mountain. Perhaps people don't know that. Mm. And it started at Upper James and then went uh, east on Fennel and ended at Upper Ottawa. Now, when I was growing up, I lived on East 45th, which crosses Fennel, you understand. So I would go and, you know, just walk a block and a half down, and I'd stand, and I'd look, and I remember, now that you mention it, it oh, was no. A, Dave Thomas. That is unbelievable. Not only do you know that, you know that because you were there. Yes! You remember seeing Dave Thomas. Yep. Wait, now, was Promo the Robot there? or Because he Promo the Robot was a character on Rocket Ship 7. Yeah, uh, this is at a WKBW in Buffalo, by the way. I, Channel 7. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if he was, but I know that, that Dave Thomas was there. It was kind of, it was actually kind of neat because at the time I was, uh, you know, 74. So I just turned 20 and I was like, okay, now I'm going back to my childhood. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that was uh, interesting. Dave Thomas, uh, and you remember Rocket Ship Seven promo the robot. Do you remember what else was, what, uh, what else was on at that era, at WKBW Channel Seven in Buffalo? Do you remember uh, Commander Tom? Yep, Tom Joles. <laughs> Commander, I, Tom. I remember Clip Smith. Rest in peace. He used to be the uh, evening sports guy. I remember Meet the Millers on Channel Four in Buffalo. Back then, it was WBEN TV. I'm old, what Scott. About- what about Dialing for Dollars? Dialing with for Nolan Dollars. Johannes? Yes, Dialing for Dollars. <laughs> from uh, the, what's the alley? I, used to, I, I passed it once. I was all excited. Oh, Seven geez. rings allowed. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway. Then we have to move on to another caller. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, there you have it. Uh, good work for you, Teddy. Well, uh, you know, I, you know I, I thought you might know, but I didn't actually think you would be there. See? I w- all of a sudden, Ted said, I was riding next to him. I was driving the car. No, I wasn't. I, but I, as I say, you know, it was a block and a half down the street. There uh, you go. Yeah, this is when I uh, was uh, so 74. I was at Mohawk College then.
Hamilton Santa Claus Parade, 1974. Yep. Dave Thomas uh, was the Grand Marshal. Rocket yep. Ship 7. Ted Michaels was there. Congratulations. Do we have any parting? Hang on a sec. Oh, no, we don't have those parting. Sorry. I get nothing. No gift for you for today. Partos- nothing. I get nothing. Nothing. Perhaps, nothing at all. We're perhaps saving it all for the fund. retirement. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if we're having a retirement, do perhaps I can get, oh, I don't know, half a donut or something, you know. <laughs> you know. If there's one left. <laughs> yeah, see? Nobody can. All right. <laughs> Uh, let's bring in Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP. Talk about everything fuel-related. Reason being, uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, energy prices are going through the roof. Uh, so much so, the U.S. is planning to dip into its oil reserves. We were just talking earlier on today with Ipsos, uh, Ipsos uh, polling and research, and they were saying four out of five Canadians uh, say that inflation is their number one concern. Inflation is the number one concern of just under 80% of Canadians. That was at number five. That was their number five concern the day of the election. What has changed in all of this? Let's bring in Dan McTagg, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the reserves. What What's the objective here? Why are they dipping into it? Well, those reserves have been down, around for almost 50 years, uh, created after the OPEC wars uh, in 73-74, and the reserves were really designed to uh, prevent one region of the world, uh, notably OPEC and its members, from keeping a stranglehold uh, on uh, uh, countries that uh, didn't comply or if it disagreed with, and of course that would be primarily the United States. So the U.S., along with uh, dozens of others, uh, other nations, uh, created their own form of reserve, which basically was, uh, you know, using up the space that they have. Uh, at one point, they thought they'd even do it in Canada, but that never took place, not that it really needed to. And uh, right now, you have about 700 million barrels of oil sitting in uh, salt cavern caverns off the coast of the, of, uh, the U.S. Gulf Coast in Texas and over in Louisiana. And that really represents a bit of a hedge uh, when you have insurrection, war, uh, when you have uh, uh, unforeseen you know, dis- major disruptions in supply. It's often run not just by the country itself, but by the International Energy Agency, So, uh, but never used for high gas prices. Always, uh, if there's some physical disruption in gasoline price, in gasoline supplies, more importantly, oil supplies. So that's really why this is uh, so unusual and unprecedented and uh, as it turns out uh, it didn't work so obviously this is um, basically set up for shortages in times of crisis as opposed to an issue uh, around price so uh, what what has what sort of effect has this had on the price there and will it have any here in canada well, it won't affect us here in Canada. Uh, if, if anything, the day it was announced, oil went up two bucks a barrel, and uh, gasoline prices went up today as a reflection, uh, about two cents a liter. So, I mean, the reality was that it didn't do much. It was probably the worst kept secret. Uh, the Biden administration had been talking about this for some time, um, and markets are already sort of considered what the impacts would be. Turns out, it's not a lot. Fifty million is a drop in the bucket, and when you consider the U.S. uses. 20 million barrels a day, 50 million is two and a half days worth of supply, uh, more than anything else, just a big yawn. But it does, uh, you know, reveal one very critical factor, and that's the U.S. is nowhere near what it was producing pre-pandemic. And it's not because of the pandemic or labor shortages or trucking shortages or supply chain issues. 
it is because uh, there is a policy in the United States, very similar to Canada, which is uh, trying to discourage investments in fossil fuels, and uh, the result is predictable. Inflation is on a roar, uh, on a tear, uh, and of course, uh, led by energy prices. Glad to see Ipsos and other pollsters are picking up on this. Uh, you and I pulled our hair out trying to tell people this is an issue. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think the public recognized it as an issue, but uh, it got caught in all the other noise of uh, issues that uh, turned out uh, weren't all that important after all. And so here we are several months later, um, you know, where I'm saying, uh, I told you so, you didn't want to listen, <laughs> nor did any of the parties out there, and uh, now we have a problem on our hands. Well, it's, biz- it's bizarre, because like uh, during the election, as Ipso said, uh, this was like number five, nobody cared, and all of a sudden, weeks later, look how it's all changed. It's, 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 it's amazing yeah, how it I, can happen. I, I took, except I took uh, a couple of pollsters to task, because uh, a lot of them are paid to, uh, to find certain issues, and I that's not to disparage them. It's just that it depends who's asking the question, how it's asked, uh, and who they're asking. And so uh, this issue was there. And at one point, it did show up at the beginning of the election that uh, affordability was number one. Although inflation can be sort of a side, you know, side side mark to that: higher lumber costs, higher housing costs, higher energy costs, higher food costs. Those were all there in the month of September. Um, not perhaps as obvious as now because we don't have to talk about COVID every single you know, a minute of the day. But uh, no doubt, I think Canadians are realizing uh, maybe they messed up on something. They had a golden opportunity to make this a big issue a couple of months ago. They failed. And uh, as a result, we're going to pay a lot, uh, Scott. And it's it's only going to get worse, not just on the energy side, but I think generally speaking, uh, uh, the cat is out of the bag and uh, inflation is, uh, is about to uh, burn down a lot of uh, finances in this country and around the world. So Biden dips into the reserve. It's a minimal amount. It doesn't make any much of uh, much of a difference. Uh, what's the message here? How does that resonate with Americans, anyone, that he's doing that? Well, it's obviously a political problem for him. Um, we just talked about an election. In the United States, they take gas prices very seriously. Unlike Canada, it says, oh, well, so what? We're doing something good for the environment. Uh, Americans don't quite see it that way. Uh, Mr. Biden and the Democrats are on collision course uh, with the voter at the midterms, which come up uh, next year. Uh, they're likely to lose uh, control of Congress, that is the House of Representatives, and, and uh, lose their, uh, you know, what little tenuous uh, strength they have in the Senate. Uh, I think Mr. Biden realizes that this is a problem. And it does, whether we like it or not, whether people like to hear it or not, it has everything to do with the anti-fossil fuel agenda of this government. Uh, whether it's cancelling the Keystone Pipeline, which ironically would have supplied them enough oil uh, to get over this uh, this shortage, uh, or whether it is uh, cancelling drilling rights on federal lands, or whether it's uh, incur- discouraging investments in the oil and gas sector. The fact is you're short a million and a half barrels a day in the United States. Any way you slice it, that leads to higher prices, and no one has a solution. By the way, Scott, on Monday, watch what OPEC does, because they're responding to this little, you know, having told uh, Biden to... Uh, basically pound sand on the idea that, uh, you know, they should be responsible for uh, increasing oil when, in fact, the United States was doing it before. I think they're likely to simply say we're not uh, going to increase any more oil. And as a result, uh, we could see prices moving up uh, maybe towards $90 a barrel in the next couple of weeks, certainly before Christmas. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Great to be here. Have a great evening. Thanks, guys. Uh, obviously, we've seen what's been happening with encampments throughout the city. This certainly is nothing new. Uh, it is something that uh, comes up this time of the year. It appears uh, every year. And obviously, you add a global pandemic into the mix, 
and uh, everything becomes heightened. And uh, the, the big question is, is how do we move forward? We all know what doesn't look good and what we shouldn't do, but what are the solutions? How do major cities move forward with this? Uh, and it certainly is a problem that is in every uh, major city as well as Hamilton and of course we've seen uh, footage locally of, of what has happened with dismantling of parks fires in, in these sorts of encampments I mean is nothing new as well uh, so how do we move forward with this discussion how do we try to find a solution uh, over and above uh, what we're seeing right now which is um, the removal of people in a park is there shelters for them to go to and how does the city move forward with these issues let's bring in Jason Far Councilor Ward 2 and with us now Jason thanks for the time I hope you're doing well thank you Scott nice to be on Hamilton today today uh, obviously uh, Jason is, is part of the police services board and such this is an issue I'm sure that comes up and and is something that is an ongoing issue for the city of Hamilton and and many major cities uh, any comments on on the video that we saw in regard to the dismantling of this a park it, it obviously seems to be getting lots of attention on social media what are your thoughts uh, where the city is now uh well yeah this is actually the second uh, dismantling of uh beamer park in uh, ward three the first was a few months ago and uh, one tent remained this time around uh, due to uh the public safety issue more than anything uh and in fact the thing uh, there was an explosion that led to a fire, uh, some rapid response by our first responders. Obviously, you've seen the footage. And uh, ultimately, some uh, Hamilton utilities uh, nearby that uh, were dangerously uh, affected. And so everything needed to get out of that space. And, and that's what happened in this particular case. But uh, we are undergoing um, uh, addressing the issue of encampments in our parks and public places, like every other city is doing uh, and have been active active in that at various capacities since August 9th, Scott, when I moved a motion at an unprecedented uh, city council meeting that said, let's get back to this bylaw. Uh, we need to prohibit overnight camping. And especially, Scott, in a city, and I was really uh, appreciating your, your preamble, your opening, um, you know, we're progressive here. How do you solve the problem? Well, you know, it's been a problem for many generations, but you need to be progressive and join other progressive cities and have a housing first strategy and we've had that for many many years and what's shocking and upsetting when a few of the activists that are involved that are making the noise they're making today and they've made in the past on this issue saying we're not doing enough we're actually doing more in hamilton than probably any other city in canada and uh, we're pretty proud of it uh, in this pandemic alone scott we've had over 480 houseless or homeless individuals and families that we did find housing for and there is shelter space and there are safer and more humane options so you just got to keep plugging away and doing those things but you also have to appreciate the law just as justin justice goodman did a month ago with his superior court decision in hamilton allowing hamilton to enforce that prohibition on camping you were talking about Beaver Park and Ward 3. Councillor uh, Nan, who that is her ward, uh, or is their ward, saying human rights-centered solutions are needed. What does that mean? It sounds good, but how do we arrive How do we arrive there? How do we get there? I don't know. Councillor Nan could have brought that up at the unprecedented emergency council meeting, but she wasn't there for the vote. She was there for the meeting, but she missed the vote, so it might have been better for her to explain what that is. It's her latest tweet. She doesn't in- support enforcement of encampments um um i i think you'd have to ask her exactly why but uh, i could tell you 
uh, from, uh, you know, Ward 2 being pretty much the epicenter of this issue, there is, is definitely a large majority of citizens that she's not speaking for. Uh, there are, unfortunately, a number of unfortunate situations that occur when encampments are in our parks and public places. And we just saw uh, a near-deadly incident yesterday, the first uh, one that's been publicized to this extent. But as you mentioned, there's been other explosions. There have been other fires. There have been a tremendous amount of different crimes throughout neighborhoods associated with these encampments. And so uh, if, her humani- if her humanitarian approach, Scott, means do nothing uh, I don't believe she reflects the sentiment of the majority of citizens. We're really at a crisis point here. And again, it's, this is especially difficult to swallow because it's almost an insult uh, to the wonderful national award-winning work our housing and homelessness people do on things like Housing First in this city and a little bit of a slap to police as well who have you know, award-winning social community outreach like social navigator programs that are dealing with this with very big hurts. Uh, many say there is nowhere to go. Is there adequate shelter space? Is this accurate? Is there in shelter space is one thing, but adequate shelter space for them? Each individual has their own impression of what's adequate. There is shelter space for the vast majority of folks that are living in the most unsafe, inhumane way, living in a tent, living rough, and especially now it's winter time, right? Um, because most of them are men. And if you call mission services every day of the week and say, do you have room for me, they will say yes, because their mission is to make room. Uh, so that, that narrative is one of many narratives that, 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 that's being covered that is unfortunate, it's inaccurate, and the reality is that uh, in most cases there is shelter space. Now, are people that are in camp, particularly now, taking us up on the offer in our award-winning outreach work, whether it's social navigators from the police or the city of Hamilton or anybody else who engages daily with encamped individuals. Unfortunately, no. And that's ultimately their decision. But that doesn't mean there's no space. That doesn't mean there isn't adequate options. There's also a whole hotel in the East End where you've got your room and your shower and your TV, which is obviously much more safe and more humane than living rough in the tent. And some people sometimes say no to that as well and then ultimately there's housing and scott the other piece is and i i I don't want to be ignorant to the issue that there are some with high acuity issues with mental health drug issues or a combination of the both unfortunately women or non-binary where we do have inadequacies like every other city and just a month ago a month and a half ago i moved a motion unanimously uh supported where we're putting multi-millions of dollars in, in in addressing that as a municipality a ministry of health health issue that once again locally we're tackling which is another aspect of our work that goes unrecognized unfortunately not not fully unrecognized but you know we are doing what we can in fact scott i can guarantee you municipally with municipal dollars and the municipal levy we're doing way more than any other city in ontario Jason Farr with his counselor Ward 2 uh, talking about uh, Hamilton's homeless encampments and the solution moving forward for the city. Jason, thanks for the time. Good luck. Anytime. Thank you for the coverage. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. It's pretty obvious, especially with the U.S. Thanksgiving today. By the way, happy Thanksgiving to everybody uh, in the United States. They're all our friends south of the border. Hope to see you soon. Um, Obviously, they say once U.S. Thanksgiving's over, that's it. Black Friday tomorrow, Cyber Monday, the rest is history, the mad dash, the stampede is on. And lots of pent-up energy because uh, these holidays have been anything but normal. 
of late. So what are you planning to do? Are you ready to jump back in and hit the mall or too early for you? And you're going to do it online, or have you just decided, I don't know if I'll ever go back to a mall. Let's bring in Bruce Winder, retail analyst and author. He is with us now. Bruce, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Scott. So obviously, COVID-19, a global pandemic changed pretty much the way we do everything, including purchasing things. We saw that over the last uh, over year and a half or such. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's the first uh, Christmas back with uh, uh, the vast majority of people vaccinated. Are we going to see a mad rush back to the mall? I think we're going to see a really healthy, brisk crowd tomorrow and on Cyber Monday. I mean, you know, Will it be as big as 2019? Maybe not quite, because to your point, Scott, people have got used to sort of buying things online. So some of those folks will say, "Mm, I think I'll just buy online, whether it's tomorrow or Monday. But you will see a fairly healthy dose of shoppers, I think, out tomorrow because people have, you know, a bit of money burning a hole in their pocket and they've been locked up for a couple of years. And, you know, they know as well that, hey, this year inventory is kind of scarce. And they know that they better, you know, grab that product now or whatever, because they might not, it might not be available in December. And, you know, we've, whether we're talking about heading back to work, whether we're talking about whatever, it's going to be a hybrid version. It's not going to be exactly the same. So do you think some of this, same with retail shopping, that, uh, yeah, people might do half there, half the other, as opposed to going back to uh, the way it was and really just showing up for the fun of the event? Yeah, I think there is something fun about the event. I mean, some people hate Black Friday because they don't want to go stand in line and it's cold normally and things. But a lot of people love it. And I think a lot of people are going to get out to embrace it. But, you know, I'm not sure it'll be half and half, but you're going to see a greater percentage of e-commerce shoppers this year versus, say, 2019. And a lot of people will look for Monday. But let's face it, these Black Friday sales, they've been going on now for a month or so. You know, you look at folks like Amazon, they've had some big specials out for the last month, really since October, and other retailers leading up to Black Friday. And then, of course, you know, it continues on. And it's not just Cyber Monday, it's Cyber Week, you know, next week, too. So a lot of the deals have sort of been smoothed out over a period of time. How has uh, how has retail adjusted to all of this? How have they adjusted to, you know, thinking and, and are they thinking maybe, you know, people may not come back. Some habits have changed forever. How has that changed the retail landscape? Well, I think the biggest change and, uh, you know, folks started this during pan- with a pandemic was to be able to enable e-commerce shopping. Uh, so whether you're a small retailer or a big retailer, you've got to get your A game on as it relates to e-commerce. That's sort of, you know, the the table stakes. And then I think a lot of people have trying to sort of, you know, get as much inventory as they can. The bigger retailers, you know, the, the Canadian tires, the Amazons and those folks, they're going to have a lot of inventory because they have pretty flexible supply chains. Probably the folks who are a little less flexible in their supply chain, a little underdeveloped, they might have a harder time. So their sales might be a little less in terms of discount because they don't want to make everyone angry where they have this, you know, this really big save story and then people come in and there's not enough on the shelf. So it's going to be a really weird one. And I think retailers are trying to adjust best they can. But, you know, we really don't know what we're going to get tomorrow. You know, we certainly seen saw this with vaccine as well. You tell somebody they can't have something or can't get it, boy, they want it even more. And we've certainly heard of the supply chain crisis. Uh, nothing new there. It's been going on uh, throughout the pandemic. So does that change habits going into these uh, sales and such? Is it more desperation? I think it is, Scott. I think, you know, there's been a lot of media attention about in-stock issues over the last couple months. So consumers have it in their psyche that they know they got to get out 
and strike while the iron's hot here, while there's inventory on the shelf, I think you'll see a pretty good, you know, uh, week and month because um, people realize, you know, hey, if I wait till December, there might not be anything left or whatever is left is not, you know, what I want. So I think the consumer has changed their buying habits for the most part, and they're going to be a little earlier shopping this year. There'll always be some diehards who don't listen and go out, you know, on December 24th or whatever. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, are going to move their shopping forward. Is this just what retail needs, just what they've ordered? Because when you think about it, uh, their hands have been tied, much like hospitality, restaurants and such. Hands have been tied for the last year and a half. Now it appears the floodgates uh, will be open. Is this what they need to get them through? Will How much will this season, uh, obviously the Christmas season is always important to any retail, but how much more important is it this year considering what we've been through? It's a major lifeline, especially for small retailers who've been really having a hard time getting the volume up. You know, if and there's a bit of a, of a local movement going on. A lot of folks uh, are thinking about local. Even big companies have have support of local. So, you know, um, I think it's going to be a really big uh, catalyst for sort of the reopening of retail, if you will, and hopefully the savior of a lot of retailers that would have went bust otherwise. Uh, the whole shop local movement really took off during the pandemic. It, it's amazing how uh, how the public has embraced what's in their own neighborhood. We've been doing a feature uh, every day, uh, a small biz, uh, business feature highlighting uh, companies that have you know made the transition or, or pivoted or whatever. Some have even started up during this uh, pandemic. So there's a lot of emphasis on shopping local. Now that things are getting back to normal, especially once the supply chains open up again, are we heading all back to Costco and Walmart, or are we going to still have that heart to shop local uh, even after the pandemic? Well, I think it's, you know, society kind of ebbs and flows. So, you know, there's that current movement right now. But I think, you know, as time goes on, um, some of this will stick. But at the end of the day, you know, once we kind of get over this hump right now, people will sort of look at their own pocketbooks and say, okay, how can I optimize my own best personal wealth? And that may involve shopping at other big retailers just because they need at the end of the day to save money and put food on the table for their families. But I think in the short run, there's going to be a bit of a push here to help uh, help some of these uh, local folks. So I guess the advice for the shopper out there, get out early? Absolutely. Get out early. I mean, if you see something you like, don't wait. Don't wait because it just might not be there. And don't wait for some and big it- magic sale to, to come in because it might not develop. That was my next point, Bruce. A lot of this stuff you're going to pay top dollar for this year, aren't you? You might, because some retailers are playing chicken with um, the consumer a little bit, um, and they're, they're, they have less discounts. Now, some of it is, is unintentional. It's just because they don't have enough inventory, and they don't want to make people angry, so they're not going to have 40% off this year. They'll have 30% off just because they don't want people rushing in for less inventory. But there's some people who are sort of maybe taking advantage of that psyche of the consumer where they're, they're just, you know, it's more of an impulse. It's like an impulse season. So they know that if they have things at regular price, they might sell a bit more and make a bit more money. Bruce Winder with us, retail analyst and author, uh, talking about the retail industry. Hopefully a much better year than it has been in the past couple uh, for those in the retail industry. Bruce, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Yeah, you too, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Take care. This is a reminder that tomorrow is our request Friday. We're playing Eddie's today. Because he requested some Gordon Lightfoot in honor of Massey Hall opening up tonight and Gordon Lightfoot uh, having the honors. Close down the old one, fires up the new one.
Uh, feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone line's always open. Looking for your last word at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will is on the board. Ted and Lisa in the newsroom. And we would love to hear from you. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports col- or columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. And we'll be on after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, it's good to uh, hear you, see you, hug you. Uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> How are so you today? I'm just so relieved that it's that's the reason you're playing Gordon Lightfoot music because he's opening Massey Hall again. Every time I hear you come in with one of his songs, it's like, oh no, oh no. But no. Oh. <laughs> Scott referring to the story when someone broke, uh, twice, I guess, a little twice. premature twice that uh, Mr. Lightfoot had passed away when in fact he hadn't. No, I'm here. He calls the radio person back. <laughs> there's there's the clip of the day. All right. Let's uh, chat with you about what's going on. Uh, and, you know, I love talking with you about the same stuff that I talk with a roundtable with. Uh, lots of chatter about getting the politicians back into the House of Commons to debate in person as opposed to being at home when staff can slip them things from the other side of the camera and such. Uh, is it time to get our government back in the House and uh, reacting to the news of the day and the debate of the day? Are we allowed to go to movie theaters these days? Check. Are we allowed to go to restaurants? Check. Can we go to sporting events? Check. Can kids be in class together? Check. All right. So what would be the possible reason why our politicians cannot do their job? Some people maybe some people may be saying right now, well, aren't you two a pile of hypocrites sitting at home doing your radio show? Um, here's my answer to that. Uh, there's only so many people at the radio station that can do radio shows. We're in a sealed environment in a studio, and if one of us gets sick, we all do, and that's why they have kept us out. Uh, but you know, I I, I agree with you. I, I think we've gone back. I was at a Tie Cats game the other day or last weekend. Uh, I think it's time for these guys to to get up and, and do what they're supposed to be doing here, as opposed to dodging the questions. Scott, there's a bigger issue at play here besides any of that and besides if you want to say about us and there's other reasons why I mean we're still at home part of it is just convenience quite frankly we've discovered we can do this now and it's easier for everyone but it's different with the House of Commons than with a radio show because of the the optics and I hate that word but the appearance the whole idea of democracy is that we have a place where you go and you do government and it's a it's Look, uh, it's a bigger deal than a radio show, honestly, even though you know you and I would like to think otherwise. It's a bigger mm. deal than a sporting event. It's a bigger deal than going to see the latest movie at the theater. It is, it, there, there is a visual reassurance about the idea of democracy when people are there. Whether you agree with it, whether you think they're being a bunch of idiots and wasting our time or not, there's a reason we have that. And, you know, that should be, to me, that should have been the first place not the last place that was open. That should have been the first place that was open to lead the way and say, see, we're doing it, and so this should give you confidence that it's doable. We've been vaccinated. We've got our masks on. Uh, it's fine. Come, but it, I, I, I think it's, quite honestly, I think it's shameful, and I, you know, whether it's because they don't want to answer questions or something else, um, it, 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 this, is, this should be the number one priority in the entire land for people to be somewhere in person is protecting and carrying out our democracy. 
Uh, surprised that we were talking to somebody from Ipsos today. Four out of five Canadians, their number one issue, their number one concern is inflation. Uh, Ipsos polled the same uh, questions on the election day. Uh, inflation was down at number five. Uh, it seemed people were talking about it, but nobody seemed to care then, yet everybody is now. Are you surprised that now the number one issue in Canada is not climate change, it's inflation? No, because the thing that is the thing that's of interest to us is the thing that's affecting us and i don't yeah. know i mean there was inflation around then but we're feeling it more now you know we had this report that the dairy board was it called the dairy board of canada is that what it's proper it, are going to be raising you know dairy prices by some crazy amount starting in the new year and beef prices have gone through the roof and you go to the grocery store and it's expensive and you order christmas gifts and they're more expensive if you can get them because of supply chain issues and we know about housing and gas is through the roof. And, you know, people are feeling it. And so when it comes right down to it, and this is one of the issues that I think the, the climate change debate is always going to run up against. We, many people believe in it. But wait a second, I'm really in favor of fixing climate change until it hits me hard in the wallet. Then wait a second, I don't know how fast we should be moving on climate change. Let me make sure that I can heat my house and put food on my table. And I think those are worthy complaints and worthy comments. It just seems that debate always seems to be in the extremes. It's either, you know, open the tap wide open or shut it off completely and see what the heck happens. All right, I can't let you go being a sports guy without asking you your thoughts on Team Canada's hockey jerseys for Beijing. Uh, many are complaining that the Maple Leaf is not a Maple Leaf. It's actually a London Maple or what the heck, it, whatever that is. I thought if you draw a stem on this, you got a cannabis leaf, Scott. I That's what I saw, not a London Maple. Like, is it me? Like, uh, but then again, we always complain about the jerseys who cares uh well i see i thought because they were going to be playing in beijing that they were showing the huawei logo yeah Um, some people had said that um you know maybe they're getting a few bucks from corporate sponsorship um we talked about this on the show last night you know there have been some magnificent team canada uniforms over the years and there have been some real stinkers i don't know if you remember the first year they ever had a women's world hockey championship our women wore pink uniforms which was uh not sure they would do that right now. Um, uh, you know, I love, if you've seen the uniforms, people listening, if you've seen the uniforms, I, I love the white ones. I love the all-black ones. That's, that's awesome. Uh, the red color one, I'm not even sure what red that is. It burns my retinas to look directly at it. Uh, and, yes, and the logo, I'm, uh, we've had other ones that are way, way better over the years. I don't know why we keep messing with it. Find a great one. And stick with it. I don't know what the problem is. And wow, that's interesting. Well, you know, well, you know do why we want... don't go? Oh, yeah, because you got to, exactly, you got to buy a new one. All right, Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. You're going to hear him next, right after a CHML 6 o'clock news. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. As always, we leave it to you, the CHML listener, to have the last word. Hi, this is Bruce from Hamilton. Just wondering about the uh, townhouses that were on between James and McNabb, uh, Strand and Ferry Street. They are empty. I'm wondering what the city can do to uh, redo those and maybe get those uh, to the homeless people. Well said.